Stevens Road Baptist Church podcast. Here you'll find our weekly teaching and more as we try to equip you to live out your faith everywhere and always. So one of the things that I am consistently grateful for is is our generally moderate climate. I love that. I know I mean I know we're getting some winter now, but generally speaking, it's nice. It's not that we don't get some woolly weather from time to time. I, a nor'easter can make its way, or, or if a freezing rain can blow in, and every now and again, uh, a Category 1 hurricane will, will make it far enough and splash onto our shores. I checked, and the, the worst we've ever had is, is a Category 1 hurricane with aspirations towards being Category 2, but they, they can be so much, so much worse. A part of me wonders if it is one of the better kept secrets in the world that, that so many people live in places that seem so crummy compared, to, compared to, our, to our climate. But it's great. I am relatively sure that most days, at least weather-wise, should be relatively safe. And while it can happen from time to time in our area, it is more of a rarity where someone will suddenly be knocking on your door and say, you have to leave now. Often what happened is someone was digging where they shouldn't have and they found a, a gas main in the, law, in the wrong way. Maybe the most dramatic one in recent memory are the wildfires that we saw in Alberta. I mean, they were the worst that, uh, that have ever been known. And I want to read an excerpt or a, a, just a kind of a clip from the, a Globe and Mail article back in May of 2016 for someone describing the experience. I get home and I have little time to leave. My thoughts begin to race. Will I pack the right things? Have I forgotten anything? My car's clutch is acting up. Will I make it? Do I have enough gas? Her phone's battery was dying. She had no adapter or time to charge it. I will not be able to call anyone for help, she thought. The first item she grabbed was a little porcelain castle. Her dad gave her when she was 10 years old. I remember thinking that I had it for nearly 23 years, and I will be darned if a fire is going to take it from me now. After that, she collected some photos, some financial papers, mortgage and insurance documents and clothes. As I locked the door for a brief second, I thought, is this the last time I will ever see my house? And the article actually never goes back to check and see what happened. And maybe there's another one lying around somewhere, but I couldn't find it. I don't know if she ever went back. A lot of people didn't. I don't know if she ended up losing everything or, or if after a few weeks she went home to a, to a fridge that was in desperate need of being cleaned. Either way, it's agonizing to imagine this kind of a decision. I have to go now. I have to make a choice now. We're reading a text here in, uh, in Mark that has what feels like a pretty similar decision. Jesus walks on the scene, and, and Peter and Andrew and James and John have to make a decision right away, a life-altering decision. Now, they don't know if they'll be back. They don't know how their life will look after this, but they have to make one right away. Now, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of, uh, of family dinners. 
And as a rule, unless it is impossible, we really try to make sure that we gather around the table at, at supper to, to eat together. Breakfast is chaotic, lunch we tend to be in different places, but supper we, we generally try to sit down and all be there for the, for the few minutes that we have before the next thing comes up. Since everyone is at the same school, this is the time that, that I finally get to find out what happened with, with everybody else figure out what everybody else's day has been like. So as you can imagine, the conversation is a little bit different depending on who I'm talking to. That getting a, a general sense of the day from, from Simeon, from Ariella, is, I wouldn't call it easy. I mean, it, it can be like prying teeth some days, but, but I can still get a sense of what, of what happened. Asher is a little different. I mean, it's, it's not that he's, he's challenged in telling us what happened during the day. He, he's more than happy to share about his day. The, the tricky part is, is trying to figure out when it happened during the day. Because when he tells stories, it all sort of just happened. It might have all happened at once at the beginning of the day. It might have all happened once at the end of the day. It sounds like an entire day's worth of events happened in a, in a fraction of a second. He wants to tell you about the, everything he did, everything he heard. And they all sound like they happened in a moment. And so before we get too far into Mark, before we get too deep into understanding this story, it's actually important for us to understand how Mark works a little bit. Or maybe it's better to say it's, it's good to understand his writing style. A little. And without wanting to downplay Mark, without wanting, to, without wanting to, to take away from the things that he is trying to do, uh, a good theory on Mark is he actually might have been more of a native Latin speaker than one of Greek. And that Greek may not have been his first language. And one of the things that is so fun about reading Mark is that he writes enthusiastically. And he writes with little sense of timing. It would be a a fun, I always use the word fun because I think it's fun for me, probably not fun for anybody else, but it's snowy, so if you find you have nothing else later to do, flip through the Gospel of Mark and see how many stories start with the words, and then, or barring that, immediately. Because for Mark, everything was, and then. And sometimes, he wants an, and then, immediately. He, there is a sense that everything happened now, and everything happened quickly. He has the... He has this intensity about him like a child telling a story that they just can't help but get off their chest. And then this happened. And then Jesus did this. And then he did this. And then he did this. And then he did this. It's great reading. But if we flip to one of the other Gospels, if we look at the Gospel of John, for example, we, we read an encounter that Jesus has with Andrew and Peter and James and John. And I want to read it to you. When the two disciples, that is, two of John's disciples, heard John saying that Jesus was the, the person who would take the sin from the world, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus said to them, following him, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which, which means teacher. Why, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they, they spent the day with him. And it was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, 
was one of the two who heard what John said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. All this is to say is there is a big difference between knowing Jesus, spending an afternoon with him, getting to know his teachings, getting to know what he stands for, and making a decision to follow him. And for Mark, the preliminaries weren't the important things. The thing that he wanted to highlight was the moment when Jesus issued a call and Peter, Andrew, James, and John had to make a decision. Mark highlights the time that there comes when it's time to follow. And in all likelihood, that there comes a time to follow again and again and again. And let me take this moment to say that if you have never taken an opportunity to follow Jesus, he is calling you now. If you have followed him, be it for hours or decades, he is calling you to follow him deeper. Come, follow me, Jesus said. We moved into our house, uh, it would be about four years this summer, I think, and we, we bought it from a person who, who took great care of it, but never updated it, which worked out wonderfully for us because we got exactly the size house we needed at a, at a, a fraction of the cost it would have had they updated it. And we just, we just chip away at projects as we go. So it was, it was wonderful for us. And last summer, our goal was to, to change around our, our closet. The closet in our entryway was too small. We're thinking of getting rid of another one, so one needed to be expanded. So we did. And a few years earlier, we had, we had done something in a playroom, or we had turned uh, the, the bar that was in our basement into a, into a playroom for the kids and a, and a den uh, to work in. So I got used to, to mudding the walls. And I, I know I've said it before, but I will say it as often as the opportunity. There is no job I hate more than drywall mudding. What a, what a terrible activity. I mean, I'm glad they invented it, but oh, just, it's just awful. This summer, it was time to do it again. We had to, we had to fix up our closet. It had been, it had been staying in, in a rough shape uh, for a couple of months because I, just, just, I, I couldn't work myself up to working with drywall again. And finally, it was, it was just it was time to do it. And what surprised me, partway through the day, I thought, I said, I, this is easier than I remember it a couple of years ago. And, and it took me a little while to sit down and try to figure out why, why are the tools not feeling so awkward to hold anymore? Why is the drywall mud not so challenging to spread? Why? And I am not, I, don't ask me to do your house. I'm not telling you that I'm good at this. I'm just telling you that I got better and I wasn't sure why. And, and after doing it for an hour or so and letting it to dry, and I sat down and, and I remembered that at Christmas... At Christmas, my mother-in-law gave me a uh, gave me a cake decorating set, and it came with the same basic tools that drywall mud had. It had the same scraper to make it smooth, and the same plate that I was holding to hold uh, a substance that its consistency is not so different from drywall mud. I had spent all January, February, and March lurching through our birthday season trying to make cakes perfectly smooth. And as it turned out, in a remarkable uh, series of events, by doing one, I got better at the other. Again, still not really good at either, 
you probably don't want me to make your birthday cake either. But I got better. These two activities seemed completely different, and yet the time wasn't wasted doing either. And this is what is so interesting about Jesus' invitation to James, to John, to Peter, and to Andrew. Because the invitation to them is come and be fishers of people. I see the work that you are doing. I see the skills that you have been developing. And I want you to use those same skills, but now I need you to do it for people. Jesus looked at these four young men working on the water, and he invited them to be fishers of people. And it's worth remembering this is not how he invited Levi. This is not how he invited in Nathaniel or Philip. I think I think it needs to be seen for something more than just a clever play on words, though. Something, it's deeper than a, than a trite saying. See, Jesus said that the dedication that you have, the willingness to put in a hard day's work, the willingness to suffer at the elements, to bear days where there are no fish, I want you to see that all of this activity is, in fact, God preparing you for your call into ministry. Come follow me and use those skills that you have been using all your life. But now be fishers of people. You know, this is how Jesus calls us as well. This is how he calls me and this is how he calls you. See, he doesn't call us to be like someone else, to abandon our skills, our trades, our personalities, our life prior to He doesn't call you to follow after him and be like me or to follow after Jesus and be like Aaron or be like Valerie or Cheryl or Julian or Don. I mean, which is great because if Jesus' call to me was come follow me and be more like Cheryl's artistic work or be more like Jesus and Don's comfortability in the fix-it world, I would be a terrible follower of Jesus. So I am not artistic, and I am not handy. It would be easy to see then that the call to follow after Jesus, that we wouldn't have anything of value to bring. But Jesus wants you to bring the experiences of your life, to be the person that God created you to be while you follow after Jesus. It's a tailored call that Jesus is issuing to you. Come and be fishers of people. After he'd gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. I feel for Zebedee every time I read this story. Here he was, a father of two grown, skilled sons in the family business. Here he was, a man who was likely had tough and leathered skin, the kind of of life that, uh, the kind of skin that comes from a life spent outdoors, working hard work in whatever, whatever elements may present themselves in the need to support his family and his surrounding community. He was both a laborer and a business owner. And I would say at this stage in his life, Zebedee surely has plans. 
plans for himself, plans for his business, plans for his sons. Those plans almost assuredly are, I am getting older, and now it's time for me to step back a little more, a little more. You boys go out and catch. I'll help prepare. I'll mend some nets, set up the, 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 uh, the stall to sell. Zebedee, I imagine, was getting ready to be done, ready to hand over the fishing nets. Maybe, maybe he was only a few years off from really expecting this reality to be true. I mean, I don't really know this. Not, not really. But I am reasonably confident of one thing. That earlier in his life, when his boys were little, when he was going down to the water by himself, when he was mending nets and fishing he would come home from a hard day. He would sit down. He would look at his wife and his two small sons playing or, or, or whatever they would have been doing. And he would have had a moment when he thought, when they grow up, when they get a little bit bigger, they're going to come with me. They're going to help. And this is going to get a little bit easier. He imagined what life was going to be like when his two Sons grew into strong young men. And I am confident of this because every day when I reach for a snow shovel, every day when I put my hands on my lawnmower, every moment when we do a chore around the house, I think I have six arms and three backs that when they just get a little bit stronger, this is going to be a little bit easier. I know it. And I am sure that at no point, after a long night on the lake, maybe a fruitless day, he slumped into his chair, looked at his family, and he thought, I sure hope a traveling preacher pops by one day and off my boys go, right out of the boat, drop their nets and leave right away. At no point did he imagine that this was the turn his life was going to take. Zebedee had plans. God's plans were different. Jesus' plans were different. Last week, last week we wondered how Jesus could say to follow after me that you must hate your mother and your father. Can I suggest that this story of the calling of James and John of Zebedee left in the boat with two hired men are actually a pretty good illustration of what Jesus was talking about? That I am confident that any time Jesus and the, and the gang were back into Galilee, any time that somebody who knew Zebedee, who knew James and John, would have come near them and, and functionally said, how can you do this to your dad? There he is, out on the boat, all by himself now. Do you hate him? Do you, do you not love your father? I would imagine someone even questioned them about the, the fifth commandment. How are you not honoring your father by allowing him into this? The choice that James and John made, even if we take into account the gospel of Luke, the gospel of John, where the getting to know you period with Jesus is stretched to maybe a few days, perhaps a few weeks. I mean, that decision is still dramatic. They dropped their nets one morning after fishing. They left their dad, I assumed, gobsmacked. 
with hired workers. It's a dramatic decision to make. Now, let me go on a limb here and assume that you, in fact, have plans. You have some sense of what today is going to look like. You have some sense of what this week is going to look like. You probably have plans maybe for this summer or for this year. They could be travel plans or career plans or, or just where you think you're going to go out for lunch. You surely have plans. And those are the nets that you are holding in your hand right now. They're your plans. Are you prepared to drop them at a moment's notice if Jesus needs you to move into a radically different direction. I love, I love making plans. I love carrying out plans. There's a satisfaction that I get almost nowhere else when I check off something off my to-do list. I made a plan, it's done, correct, I love it. And I am learning how I can hold plans with a much lighter grip. But truth be told, I hate it when plans change with little notice. A different James wrote these words in his letter. Now listen you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and, and, make, a money, and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and we will do this or do that. Following Jesus requires us to be flexible in our planning and in our preparing. It requires us to drop our nets and to follow him. And we're not, we're not given glimpses into the future. We're not invited to know what this action will do or, or what dominoes this will, will begin to, to knock down. We are invited instead to know the person who asks us to follow him, the person who is writing the future. Do we have our nets in, in a loose grip? You are a called person. It doesn't matter what direction I look or, or who I gesture towards. I am right every single time. You are a called person. We sometimes imagine that to be called, you, you have to be part of, of a religious elite. That only those people are called. The, the pastors or the missionaries or the authors or the speakers or the musicians. That they are called. But that is not true. Not in the least. You are a called person. And it, is like, and it will likely require a rethink of how you plan today, tomorrow, next month, next year. It will likely require a shifting and changing of your life in some way, shape, or form. But it won't be a jettisoning, jettisoning of everything that makes you, you. You are called person. Jesus is calling you right now. Are you ready to drop your nets and follow? Thank you for listening to the Stephen Drug Baptist Church podcast. 
hope what you listened to was helpful. If you enjoyed it, consider liking, subscribing, or sharing this podcast. You can find us on Facebook, or if you are in the Dartmouth, Nova Scotia area, we would love to see you some Sunday. Again, thanks so much for listening. Have a wonderful day.